Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Well, what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down, and I say, Hey, how you doing? Hey, I hope you're doing well, everybody. This is Jim McCarrens with The Good, The Bad, and The TV on the number one podcast network for professionals. It's the Believe Podcast Network. Let's believe in the good, the bad, and the TV. The year is 1976. It's an election year in America, and Georgia Governor Jimmy Carter rides an anti-Watergate, anti-Gerald Ford, anti-DC establishment tied to victory. Some say Ford loses because so many find his 1974 Nixon pardon unpardonable. Elsewhere this year, heiress kidnap victim Patty Hearst is found guilty in her bank robbery trial. The Philadelphia Flyers vanquish over the Soviet Red Army hockey team at the hometown Spectrum Arena. Go America. And the parents of 22-year-old comatose Karen Ann Quinlan win court permission to remove their daughter from the ventilator that's been helping her to breathe for a year. In a vegetative state and on a feeding tube since April of 1975, Quinlan breathes on her own for nine more years until passing in 1985 at just 31. A national right-to-death movement, though, has only just begun. The thread woven through the fabric of the entire year is, of course, the country's bicentennial celebration. 200 years, an endless TV commercial and cultural tie-ins in the making. Among them, an album recorded by the hottest and most controversial stand-up in the country, Richard Pryor with an incendiary title that even Johnny Carson won't say the December night this year that Pryor's booked on The Tonight Show to promote both it and a new movie he's in called Silver Streak. After he introduces him, Carson leaves it to Pryor to say the name of the album, Bicentennial Nigger. In the interview, he asks the comedian what he tells people who give him a hard time for use of that word. Pryor's reply, he says... I just say, nigger, get out of my face. Richard Pryor is not a man with a filter or a problem with confrontation. Maybe he thrives on it, which is as good as a way as any to frame what comes in 1977. And honestly, given his appearance this December night on The Tonight Show, you'd think the NBC suits would have seen it coming. Like his contemporary, George Carlin, Richard Pryor starts his stand-up career in the early 1960s with both a look and an approach that's a bit more mainstream and conservative than his legacy will later suggest. It's only after what he calls a 1967 epiphany, followed by an immersion into the California counterculture, that the iconic and increasingly vitriolic quote-unquote Richard Pryor persona begins to emerge. In short order, he begins writing for TV and film, winning an Emmy Award, as part of the writing team behind a Lily Tomlin TV special in 1973, and then co-writing with Mel Brooks, the hit Blazing Saddles in 1974. He also takes supporting roles in films like Lady Sings the Blues. As his star ascends, the work gets bigger. He's seen in Uptown Saturday Night and Car Wash on the big screen. He headlines massive stand-up tours. And then he makes late-night TV history in December 1975 as the first black host of the new late-night show called NBC's Saturday Night. That's where the N-word makes an appearance in a job interview sketch with Saturday Night Live regular Chevy Chase 
that becomes a cultural touchstone. By 1977, Richard Pryor is a singular comedy brand and a controversial one. Amid much fan fanfare, he strikes a deal to conquer TV next with his own show on NBC. Inside of six months of the announcement, the comedian goes from the network's biggest headline to the peacock's biggest thorn. It begins with a one-hour special Pryor does for NBC in May of 1977 called the Richard Pryor Special. Yes, there's a question mark at the end of the title. May or may not be a telling sign. The special does well enough that the network follows it up with an announcement that Pryor will star in his own weekly show that fall. Which, oddly, is when things start to go wrong. Because Pryor is under the impression, or so he later says, that he's to be headlining a series of specials for the network beginning in the fall. Not a weekly series. Let the conflict begin. When whatever it actually is that Richard Pryor is starring in begins pre-production in the summer of 1977, the comedian quickly discovers that doing TV means getting opinions about it from the guys who help run it. He pushes back, saying that his contract stipulates there's to be no interference or even involvement in the show from NBC executives. Communication between the sides sours. Back and forth goes the squabbling, generating headlines both inside and outside of Hollywood. The show in the works drama is national gossip. Pryor threatens to leave the series before it even premieres. Then he balks and sticks around. Production resumes. The show seemingly under control, right around the week in August of 1977 that a huge piece in Time magazine anoints Pryor the new black superstar. The comedian begins shooting the first episode. The plan is to open with a close-up of Pryor on stage addressing the camera and what will be revealed as a live studio audience in front of him. He's seen saying how happy he is to be hosting his own TV show and dismissing reports of behind-the-scenes fighting, scoffing at those who, he said, told him that doing a network show would mean giving up his principles. As he speaks, the camera is to pull back slowly until Pryor is seen full frame, standing on the stage, completely nude. Seemingly, anyway. He's actually in a flesh-colored, neck-to-feet body stocking, revealing in its own way, but its crotch smoothed over like a Ken doll's, indicating a lack of genitalia. Look at me. I'm standing here naked, he says. I've given up nothing. NBC's reaction. No way. No how. More fights and threats. More headlines. Writes David S. Silverman in his book, You Can't Air That, Four Cases of Controversy and Censorship in American Television Programming. Pryor at this point threatens that if he and NBC can't come to a resolution about the opening as he envisions it, then the first taping of his show will be the last. He quotes Pryor as saying, quote, Everybody will say I'm crazy if I quit, that I'll be the crazy nigger who ran off from NBC. But this is stifling my creativity, and I just can't work under these conditions. End quote. He doesn't walk. The Richard Pryor Show premieres on September 13, 1977, with the inflammatory opening intact. Sort of. In post-production, NBC alters the full-frame imagery. Pryor is still seen delivering his opening salvo. He's still seen standing alone on stage in front of a studio audience as the camera pulls back. But the full body image and its missing genitalia are blurred, distorted. So too is the joke. 
Viewers are unsure what they're seeing. Watching it at home as a kid, I think the problem is with my set and I give it a smack on the side. Viewers are also unsure what the live studio audience is laughing at. Actually, only some viewers in the country even have a chance to see it and be confused by it. Fearing, fearing viewer or advertiser backlash about an already controversial R-rated performer and in the wake of so much press about an irate star, some NBC stations opt to air the premiere only in late night, subbing in their own programming at the appointed hour in prime time. And some stations just refuse to air the episode at all. Nice start. Richard Pryor's easily triggered outrage and the, re and the resulting tension mushroom from there. Edgy race-baiting sketches are written, network notes are given and ignored. Fights erupt. Not helping. Low ratings for the hype debut and then for the show that airs the week after. Thinking it has a surefire smash, NBC has scheduled the Richard Pryor show opposite ABC's Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley, the two most popular shows on all of TV. It's a suicide slot for any new series starring anyone. Beyond that, it's a curious shot slot in general, given Pryor's reputation and concerns of the day about keeping the first hour of primetime reserved for family-friendly programming. The fighting and the low ratings continue. Squabble after squabble, poor showing after poor showing, ignored note after ignored note, until after just four episodes, the Richard Pryor show leaves the air for good in October. It's either the agreed-upon number of shows or not, depending on who's talking. So either the show was canceled after four episodes or Pryor quit after four episodes. Another freshman series, The Man from Atlantis, replaces it, and NBC pretends the Richard Pryor show never happens. Trivia alert. The following spring, it's nominated for two Emmy Awards, one of which it wins. This is how Matthew Allen sums it all up in 2017 on TheRoot.com. The NBC program gave the risque prior the shot to give millions of Americans a glimpse into hilarious sketch comedy of varying formats, socio-political criticism, prototypical improvisation, and gorgeous historical expressions of blackness once a week. And he provided that, but only for four weeks, after which he pulled the plug on his own show, fed up with content restrictions. The battle of maintaining unfiltered blackness with television regulations and paranoid powers that be didn't start with Pryor, and while he helped other black vehicles get further along, he didn't end these challenges altogether either. End quote. Richard Pryor goes on to do fine, career-wise anyway, having starred in six films between 1974 and 1977 when the NBC show begins. He has three come out alone in 1978, after it's gone, and 16 more over the next two decades. His career explodes, and then wanes. Plagued by addictions and health problems, beginning with a heart attack at 37, notably a few weeks after the last of his NBC shows air, Pryor, winner of one Emmy, five Grammys, a Writer's Guild Award, and the first recipient of the Mark Twain Prize for Humor from the Kennedy Center, dies from complications of MS in 2005. He's only 65. Fun fact, among the regulars who appear on The Richard Pryor Show... Sandra Bernhard, and, a year before his own breakout, Robin Williams. You gotta believe. Hey, send us some questions and feedback and suggestions, in that order or your own order, on Twitter at Believe Podcasts, or at our website, 
believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. That's also where you can get information on advertising on this or any Believe show. Find and download The Good, The Bad, and The TV on Apple, where you can subscribe and rate us, or Spotify, where you can follow us. Also, just plain listen for a new drop each Thursday on these sites or Stitcher, TuneIn, Luminary, Google Play, a host of others. Be sure to like the show all over your social media, too. I'm Jim McCarrens. We'll talk again. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Richard Pryor Show. My name is Richard Pryor, and I'm so happy to have my own show. I don't know what to do. I could jump up and down and sing Yankee Doodle. I'm telling you, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, there's a lot of things written about me. People wondering if I'm going to have a show, if I'm not going to have a show. Well, I'm having a show. People say, well, how can you have a show? You've got to compromise. You've got to give up everything. Is that a joke or what? Well, look at me. I'm standing here naked. I've given up absolutely nothing. So enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.